Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. Shabbat Shalom. Today is a very special Shabbat. It's the Shabbat between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, Yom Kippurim, uh, which is known as Shabbat Teshuvah, uh, the Sabbath of Repentance. And to address this theme of Teshuvah, uh, repentance, uh, from a little different angle, I want us to look today at, or more accurately, to re-examine the very famous parable of the prodigal son, which perhaps more accurately, which you'll see in a moment why I said this, should be renamed or recalled uh, the parable of the older son. Now, the key to understanding this parable uh, at the end of Luke 15 is found in the first two verses of that chapter. So let's turn to Luke 15, beginning in verse 1. Now, the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Yeshua. But the Pharisees and the Torah teachers muttered, This man welcomes, welcomes sinners and eats with them. That's the key. By the way, this very, the first, this, uh, first of all, I want to mention this word man, where it says, This man eats with sinners. The word man is actually not in the Greek text. It's the Greek actually simply says, This blank welcome sinners. It can be translated, oh, this fool, or this such and such, or this blankety blank. <laughs> uh, it's a clear inference of contempt. And your translations probably say this man, but the word man is actually not there. Uh, second, uh, the Pharisees are looking at the type of people who are coming to Yeshua and saying, this is a problem. Uh, they're hearing Yeshua's amazing teaching, but they don't like the people with whom he's associating. Uh, he's hanging out with the wrong kinds of people. Uh, so in response, Yeshua tells them these three parables. And all three of these parables are making one single point. Uh, indeed, the actual Greek, again, this doesn't say he told them these parables. The actual Greek says he told them this parable, singular. Uh, thus linking all three stories into a single parable. So let's look at these three parables uh, together because they're telling three parables. Yeshua is telling three parables to make one point. Uh, and by the way, we don't allegorize parables. Uh, we don't try to find symbol, symbolic meaning in every little word, every detail. No, parables general, generally are making one key point. So the crux of the matter is that the Pharisees are grumbling because of the type of people Yeshua is hanging out with. Uh, so let's turn to parable number one, uh, Luke 15, uh, verse 3. Uh, then Yeshua told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the, the one lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home and calls all his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need to repent. <laughs> Hallelujah. So in this first parable, a man loses one of his 100 sheep. So he loses 1% of his sheep. What do you do? You leave the 99, you go after the one, and when you find him, you rejoice. And you tell your friends and your neighbors so they can rejoice with you. 
And at this point, all the Pharisees, they're tracking with him, and they're, they're agreeing with him. Yeah, that's right, Yeshua. Uh, now note, uh, the story ends, interestingly, if you look at it carefully, it ends with the other 99 sheep still stuck out in the wilderness. This unfinished symphony, if you will, that Yeshua thus creates is not resolved until Yeshua tells the final story of the prodigal son, where the father uh, does indeed go out, out of his home a second time, uh, in hopes of bringing in the older son, who doesn't recognize that he indeed is in the wilderness, uh, to bring him into the banquet with the father and with the younger son and with the entire village community, who are all rejoicing at the younger son's return. So the drama of this first parable of the lost sheep uh, has a, uh, a missing final scene that Yeshua deliberately omits uh, in, this first, in the first two parables, only to resolve it and include it in the final third one. That's, so that's number one. Number two, secondly, by retelling the traditional Good Shepherd story, as originally seen throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, his audience would have been intimately familiar with the story of the Good Shepherd. We find it in Psalm 23, uh, in Jeremiah 23, in Ezekiel 34, in Zechariah 10. I mean, it's everywhere, the, the Good Shepherd theme. Uh, but, Yeshua is, uh, but he's retelling this traditional Good Shepherd story. Uh, and he does that. What is, he, what is he saying about himself when he does that? Throughout the Tanakh, God is the Good Shepherd, who one day would enter history, step into the breach, and make up for the failures of all the bad shepherds. But here in Luke 15, Yeshua is clearly talking about himself. Indeed, in John 10, verse 11, Yeshua affirms, I am the good shepherd. All through the Gospels, you see, he's engaged in finding the lost sheep. Uh, and here in Luke 10, Yeshua is declaring himself to be the divine shepherd who has entered history, as promised by the prophets, to make up for the failures of the bad shepherds who lose their sheep. Yeshua takes the images and the stories about God from the Hebrew scriptures and retells them, applying them to himself and writing himself into the story, placing himself at the center as he acts out the role of God, the divine good shepherd. Third, we see our Shabbat Teshuvah theme here, this theme of repentance. The entire emphasis of the parables, uh, of the, of the parable, this parable is on the return of the lost sheep and the resultant joy in heaven when one sinner repents. Now note the Hebrew word used here for return uh, uh, or to bring back. It's the Hebrew word shuv. It's the same word we get repentance from, teshuvah. The sheep brought back by the shepherd is a symbol of repentance. And that repentance brings joy to the sheep, to the shepherd, uh, to, to the shepherd's friends, and even to the angels in heaven. All four of the good shepherd stories in the Tanakh, in, in Psalms, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Zechariah, they all use this Hebrew word, shuv, to bring back, to return. When used in connection with returning to the Lord, it means to repent. The parable of the lost sheep here in Luke 15 uses the Greek word, metaneo, which means to repent. In short, the Greek word metaneo in Luke 15, 7 translates the Hebrew word shuv, which lies behind it. So here, here's the anatomy of repentance in the parable of the lost sheep. First, we see the action of the shepherd, which represents the, the movement of divine love in history. Uh, so and then we'll put this on the overhead. So first is the offer of divine love uh, acted out in, in the search and rescue mission of the shepherd. Second is the acceptance of the shepherd's uh, efforts by the sheep, 
which is repentance. Well, how does the sheep repent? How does the sheep participate? The sheep knows it's lost. It listens for the shepherd. It responds to the shepherd's approach with its crucial bleeding sound. And it accepts the shepherd's rescue rather than running off further away. So the action of the shepherd in finding is coupled with the sheep's participation in being found. This is how Yeshua defines repentance. Third is the response of joy. Joy on the part of the shepherd, uh, on the part of the sheep and the friends, even the angels in heaven. Uh, there's joy in heaven when one sinner repents. Which, what, what brings joy to God? Here's the answer. Repentance. Isaiah 55, verse 7. Let the wicked man forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. Here's the Hebrew word, shuv. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him. Isaiah affirms God's compassion on the one who repents, on the one who returns, who does the shuvah. Without repentance, that grace is not available. And on the overhead, uh, in this parable, uh, Yeshua adds an additional dimension to repentance because now repentance is also responding to the divine call offering salvation. It's accepting being found. Hallelujah. So let's move on. Yeshua next says, let me tell you another parable. All right, let's look at this one. Luke 15, verse 8. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins uh, and loses one. So now it's gone up from losing 1% of your wealth, one sheep out of 100, to losing 10%, one out of, of 10 coins. Luke 15, verse 8. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Hallelujah. The angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner who repents. Uh, uh, like, like a woman rejoices after losing uh, and then finding 10% of her wealth. Uh, and the angels rejoice over one sinner who repents more than the shepherd rejoices who finds one of his lost sheep. And all the Pharisees, of course, are hearing all this because he's, he's actually talking to them. They're responding and they're, they're tracking and they're, they're agreeing so far. Now we get to the third and final and, and ultimate, most important parable. Luke 15, verse 11, Yeshua continued. There was a man who had two sons. Okay, 100 sheep, 10 coins, two sons. Yeshua then proceeds to paint this picture of a younger son. And he's awful. <laughs> Luke 15, verse 12. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Now, you only get your share of the estate when? When your parents, or in this case, when your father dies. So in essence, this younger son is really saying, between the lines, in not so many words, Dad, I wish you were dead. Dad, I can't wait around any longer for you to die. Give me my inheritance now. Now, we would expect the father, rightfully, to say, you wicked little ingrate. <laughs> Do you despise my presence that much? But instead, we read this, Luke 15, verse 12. So he divided his property between them, which probably means in the Israeli society, the older son got two-thirds and the younger son got one-third. Luke 15, verse 13. Now, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a far country and squandered his wealth in wild living. Notice, he, he goes off to a far country where nobody knows you, 
There's no one to report back to dad to, uh, no one to hold you accountable. In the context of Yeshua's day, uh, that the, 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 the Jews are meant to be in the land of Israel, the land of promise. This is their homeland. And bad things happen when you go off to a far country. When you're in a far country, you're enslaved in Egypt, or you're captive in Assyria, or the northern tribes, or Babylon with the southern tribes. When you're in a far country, you're in exile. To be in a far country is a metaphor for being, that's not good. <laughs> it usually means you've sinned against God and he has sent you out into exile as a punishment, as a judgment. So this younger son, uh, he's greedy, he's ungrateful, he's impatient, uh, he's licentious. Uh, he voluntarily leaves the land of promise goes off to a far country, the kind of place the Lord sent you to as punishment for disobedience. And there he squanders his wealth in reckless living. Luke 15, verse 14. After he spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. Here's another sign of God's judgment, a famine. Luke 15, 15. So he went off and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the field to feed the pigs. <laughs> Can't be a worse job for a Jewish boy <laughs> than to feed the pigs. <laughs> Another sign of God's judgment. Luke 15, verse 16. He longed to fill his stomach with even just the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him a thing. Psalm 37, 25 tells us, I've never seen a righteous man forsaken or their children begging bread. But this younger son, he's not living righteously, and he is begging for bread. Now, in one sense, Yeshua here is describing the history of Israel, always going astray. Uh, and the Pharisees can relate to this. You know, they also condemn the younger son. And they, therefore, they equally condemn all these questionable people Yeshua's associating with. You know, the hated tax collectors who, 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 who collaborate with Rome, uh, sinners, uh, women of questionable reputation. This younger son is bad news. But he's 50% of the father's sons. 1% of the sheep, you find it, what do you do? You rejoice. 10% of the coins, you, you find it, what do you do? You rejoice. Now, 50% of your sons, Luke 15, verse 17. When he came to his senses, the younger son said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I'll arise, I'll go back to my father's house and say, say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. This is repentance, or at least the first stages of repentance. And so at this point, if you're a Pharisee, you say to yourself, you lose one of your hundred sheep, you go get it. You lose one of your 10 coins, you search, you find it. You lose 50% of your sons. Now the Pharisees know the right answer here. <laughs> you go after him, but they don't like the implication of what Yeshua is saying. Uh, because this explains and defends why Yeshua is hanging out with and eating with the tax collectors and the sinners. Now, we often tend to read the Bible like you read your high school yearbook. <laughs> Those of you old enough, do you remember the old high school yearbooks? Uh, you know, I don't know, I don't know if they still have these or not, uh, but they were full of pictures, chronicle, chronicle in your year of, high, of school. In fact, the whole idea of Facebook started out as an electronic version of the, face of the high school yearbook for college students. That's how Facebook started. Now, when as a student you get your high school yearbook, what's the first thing you do? You go to the back of the index, you, look, you search for your name, 
and I want you to turn to all the pages where you're pictured, <laughs> right? <laughs> Let's be honest, that's what we do, right? <laughs> that's how we read a high school yearbook. I'm looking for me. <laughs> where am I pictured? And that's how we read the Bible, too. Where am I? And the way we often read it, of course, is that we're the hero in the Bible, right? <laughs> or at least we're the most sympathetic character. And so when we read this particular parable, we often like to think of ourselves as the prodigal son because he's the one who repents and comes back to the father. He's the hero of the story, right? And this parable is all about him, right? I mean, well, according to the Bible editors, they think it's all about him. Look in your Bible. It's called the parable of the prodigal son in the literal superscripts. <laughs> and so we like to see ourselves as the prodigal son, especially if we in our youth ever wanted from the Lord and, and then came back. But I'm going, to be, I'm going to be controversial here. I'm going to suggest this is really not the main point of the story. Especially if we remember our context from verses 1 and 2. Who this parable is addressed to. Remember, Yeshua tells this parable in response to the Pharisees grumbling against him for hanging out with the tax collectors and the sinners. So Yeshua, he's addressing the Pharisees in all three of these parables. The Pharisees in these stories are not the prodigal. They are not the prodigal. The prodigals are, are, are the ones that the Pharisees, the Pharisees are mad at. They're mad at Yeshua for, about, for hanging out with. The prodigals are the tax collectors and the sinners from verse 1. The ones, the ones the Pharisees are upset at Yeshua for associating with. So if the Pharisees aren't the prodigal in this story, who are they? And if you and I aren't necessarily the prodigal, who are we? Who are we who are gathering today at shul, uh, observing various rituals and obeying various laws, which might make us feel good about ourselves? This parable is a warning. Let's move on. Luke 15, verse 19. The prodigal, uh, he's rehearsing what he's going to say to the father. Uh, and he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he arose and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, but his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. So he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. This is showing us the character of God, the Father, our heavenly Father. Luke 15, 21. Son, the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He is a repentant sinner. Verse 22. But the father said to his servants, Quick, uh, bring, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and was found. So they began to celebrate. One percent of your sheep, you find it, you celebrate, and your friends celebrate with you. 10% of your coins, you find it, you celebrate, your friends celebrate with you. And the angels rejoice even more, even more than that, over one sinner who repents. This part of the story is all about one sinner who repents. Now, there's a man throwing a party, and we already know that, that heaven's throwing an even bigger party, right? <laughs> but if Yeshua is telling this story to the Pharisees, and he's not saying to them that you're the prodigal, who is he saying they are? Let's look at verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, 
He heard music and dancing. Remember the context here of the whole parable. Uh, Yeshua hosts a dinner with all who know that they're lost. Uh, and he's telling the Pharisees, this parable applies to you as well. Here's a story I'm going to tell you now to clarify this. It's about a man who had two estranged sons. And he tried desperately to get both of them to attend a banquet that he was hosting in the family home. The Pharisees are the older son. And this isn't really the parable of the prodigal son. This is ultimately the parable of the elder son, the older brother. That's the main point of this parable, I would suggest. It's the response of the older brother. And that becomes more obvious, as you see uh, in this parable, as part of Yeshua's three parables in succession, which he tells in response to the Pharisees grumbling against him. Let's look at verse 26, Luke 15, 26. So he, the older brother, uh, called one of his servants and asked, asked him what's going on with all this music and this dancing. Your brother's come home, he replied, and your father's killed the, the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. So the, older, so, so the older brother rejoiced with his father and with the angels in heaven because a sinner has repented, right? Is that what the text says? No, not at all. Luke 15, 28. But the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you, and, you, and I never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. Notice how the older brother does not rejoice when one sinner, his younger brother, repents and returns. Notice how he's rude to his father. Indeed, disobeys his father and refuses to go into the party, thus embarrassing his father in front of all the father's friends and the whole community. Notice how he describes serving the father as slavery. No joy there. He does not really enjoy or appreciate or even want the father's presence. He obeys begrudgingly, out of duty. And he wants, he wants a goat, he says, not to celebrate with you, Dad, uh, but to celebrate with my friends. He really doesn't want the Father's presence out of love for the Father. Verse 30, Luke 15, 30. The older son continues his diatribe now against the Father. But when the son of yours, notice not my brother, but this son of yours, who squandered all your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. This speech shows us how easy it is for us to see sin in other people, but so hard for us to see it in ourselves. And at this point, the Pharisees probably realize, hey, Yeshua's talking about us. <laughs> Remember, the Pharisees complained in, back in verses 1 and 2 uh, that, that you, Yeshua, you're hanging out with the wrong kind of people. So Yeshua, in essence, is now saying, oh, they're the wrong kind of people? Let me show you now what kind of people you really are. Yes, the younger brother was a sinner. He was greedy and selfish. He was impatient and disrespectful. He was licentious and immoral. He doesn't honor his father. He squanders the father's wealth. He leaves town and abandons the covenant community. He violates God's law. But he repents. And he humbles himself. And he comes home and now he only wants the father. 
He's willing to just be a hired servant as long as he can be with the Father. That is his new heart. His heart has changed on the overhead. But the elder brother cannot see how hard his heart is. His attitude towards the father is, I kept the rules, so you now owe me. You owe me. And of course, ironically, he, he, he doesn't keep the commands. In fact, the older brother has violated the two most important commands in the whole Bible. He does not love the Lord, represented by the father, with his heart, mind, soul, and strength. And he does not love his neighbor, represented by his younger brother, as himself. He's kept certain outward laws and rules, but his heart was far from God. And he says to the father, how dare you celebrate with him and not celebrate me? Because it's all about me. Because I'm the one who keeps the rules. Listen to me, all you who are parents out there. We try to raise our kids right. We teach them the gospel. We educate them. We mentor them. We disciple them. We, we catechize them. We bathe them in God's word. Many of our children come to faith early. And we, we praise God for that, of course. And, and we pray that our children will never come to know the life of the prodigal. But here's the question. Do you also pray they'll never become like the older brother? In the story, the prodigal got saved. But at the end of the parable, the elder brother refuses to come into the father's house. He will not come in. Just like at the, end, at the end, the Pharisees, for the most part, reject Yeshua. The Pharisees claim to scrupulously follow all the rules, to obey the law of Moses. But Yeshua points out they really don't obey the law of Moses. In fact, he tells the Pharisees this in John 5, verse 45. He says to the Pharisees, Don't think that I'll accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you'd believe me, for he wrote of me. Yeshua is saying the Pharisees' rejection of his Messiahship is indicative of their refusal to believe Moses. For the Torah of Moses is ultimately all about Yeshua. The other brother looked at everyone else out there uh, whose life wasn't as pristine as his, uh, as his was, and he says to the father, you owe me because I keep all the rules. You owe me because I haven't done the things that are on the list of things you shouldn't do. You owe me because I've earned it. Parents, if we're not careful, that's who we raise. You see, so many times uh, with a kid who gives us trouble, we're on our knees. We're begging God for their repentance and their salvation. And we pray and we pray and we pray uh, and we pray and we say, we say to this prodigal, why can't you be more like your brother who never gives us any trouble oh, and who obeys us? Why can't you be like your brother who keeps all my rules? But all the while, brewing deep in the heart of the compliant one is the elder brother syndrome. But we don't pray for him nearly as much as we pray for, for the prodigal, right? Because he's the good one. He's the easy one to raise. He's the compliant one, the obedient one. But all the while, this outwardly obedient child could be as lost as the outwardly rebellious one. 
Because if it's just outward obedience, he does not, if that's all it is, he does not love the Father. And he thinks the Father owes him for keeping of the rules. But if that's his heart, he's totally missing the gospel. The prodigal repented. The, pro the prodigal came home to the father. But the elder brother in the parable, he totally misses the gospel. He's just a Pharisee, outwardly scrupulous, but inwardly hard and cold towards the father. Listen to, to what the father says to him. Look at Luke 15, verse 31. My son, the father says, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. Remember, the father divide, divided up his estate, uh, gave the youngest son his portion, so everything else eventually goes to the elder son. The entire estate is the older son's. And yet, he's worried about a calf or a goat. <laughs> the father says to his older son, you're always with me, you have me. The younger son, he's been away from me. But you had me, you had the presence of the father this entire time. But I now see that in your eyes, I wasn't enough because you really don't want me. You're just like your younger brother, actually, when he first left. Just like him, because you don't want me. You don't want the Father. You just want stuff. You want recognition. You think you're owed something. Uh, you're owed a party with your friends. But you had me. And secondly, all the stuff is yours. But you really don't care about that. You don't care about me. He does not love the Father. He loves himself. This is elder brother syndrome. The Pharisees thought that, you know, they were everything. They were God's elite. Uh, we're the ones who keep the rules. We're the right kind of people. Yeshua, aren't you one of us? Uh, then, then why are you hanging out with tax collectors and, and, and sinners and prostitutes? The older son thinks his younger brother is a despicable sinner, and he sees himself as righteous. His prodigal brother, of course, needs to repent, but he, the elder brother, thinks he doesn't. He himself doesn't need to repent. It never occurs to him that he's a self-righteous sinner who likewise needs to repent. This is what I'm calling elder brother syndrome. And you miss the kingdom because your heart is not turned towards God. You thought that even if just subconsciously, you know, you think even subconsciously that your works, or your rule-keeping, your law-keeping was earning you some merit before God and that you were owed something because of it. And the older brother therefore misses the father just like the younger brother at first missed the father. You, the older brother, you thought you were in and the younger brother was out because you saw the outward sin of the younger brother. And you see these people who are sitting outwardly and you say, Thank God I'm not like one of them. But all the while on the inside, you're every bit as rotten. Uh, and, and your works righteousness and your legalism and your religious spirit has completely blinded you. Ephesians 2, verse 8. By grace you're saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works that no man may boast. The other brother doesn't even see his need for the Father's grace, for the Father's mercy. But it's right there, if only he had eyes to see. You know, it's awful when you're out there in the far country. It's awful when you're far from God and far from the gospel uh, and, and, and living for yourself. 
and reaping the bitter fruit uh, from sowing into the flesh uh, and leaving spiritual scars on, on your life that may last for years. But you elder brothers, be careful that your attitude isn't a smug, self-righteous, glad I'm not you attitude. <laughs> because if that is you, you're hovering over a hell without even knowing it. Because you think they need the gospel, but I don't. Because I'm one of the good ones. I didn't give mom and dad any trouble, like my, like my younger brother did. I kept the rules. I was the compliant one. I was the easy one to raise. The, the Eddie Haskell from Leave it to Beaver, if you will, the older generation, remember him? <laughs> and I'm the good one. You know, God owes me. <laughs> and of course, you're protesting. David, that's not me. Okay, fine, let's take some tests. Because we typically cannot see this in ourselves. So let's look at some tests. Let's say you're a wife. And your attitude is, I want a baby. And God has not given me one. God, I serve you. I pray to you. I worship you. And you haven't given me a baby. And this young teenage relative of mine, who doesn't even want a baby, she gets pregnant. Why? That's not fair. Because I've been good. So you should give me stuff. Okay, or how about this one? Lord, I serve you. I love you. I work hard every day for you. And that scumbag at the office who, who cheats on his wife, and who's vile, he makes twice as much money as I make. That's not fair. I've been good. You owe me. Or how about this one? Are you kidding me? That jerk got into the University of Texas at Austin? And I can't even get into my third choice school? I've been good. That's not fair. These are examples of what elder brother syndrome looks like in real life. Or you get a bad report from the doctor. And there are evil, sinful people in perfectly good health. That's not fair. I've been good. Why do I have to suffer? Why do I have to be sick? And these other people who are nowhere near as obedient as I am, they're healthy, they're, they're strong as an ox. This is what elder brother syndrome looks like. Wow. Really, Lord, I homeschooled my kids. I protect and shelter my kids. I teach them the gospel and apologetics and theology. I make them memorize the EC statement of faith. <laughs> I read the Bible to them. We have family devotions every week. And one of my kids goes astray? That's not possible. That's not fair. I've been good. I've been the model parent. I deserve better. Welcome to the parable of the elder son. And here's why. Here's why this is so poisonous. Luke 15, verse 32 in the overhead. The father says to the older son, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. When you're the elder brother, you can't even rejoice in the goodness of the gospel. You can't even rejoice when a sinner repents and is saved. The angels are rejoicing, but you aren't. The younger brother comes back, says to the father, I'll be your servant. I don't deserve to be your son. I just want you. I just want home. I just want your presence, dad, to be with you. That's all the younger son 
ignorance. Uh, and and, and, and uh, the younger son, he now runs to the father and he rejoices in the gospel and in the goodness of the father. But the older son can't. The older son should have been number one looking at his, at his brother saying, I rejoice in your returning home. And number two looking at his father and saying, I rejoice in your goodness and in your protection that I didn't have to go through all of that. I rejoice, I've been able to be here with you this whole time, Dad, experiencing your grace, your mercy, your love, and, and, and having you shower upon me your blessings. But you can't do that when you're the elder brother. You cannot rejoice in the gospel. And because your relationship with the Lord is works-oriented, you have no assurance of your own salvation. The elder brother syndrome breaks your relationship with God. And so whenever something bad or disappointing happens, you say, well, I must not have been good enough. So instead of running to the cross, you end up running deeper and further into your works righteousness and your legalism and your religious spirit and further away from the Father. And you're miserable. Because we read this in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 6. He has made us ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. But for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. On the, on the overhead, the elder brother is living by the letter of the law, not by the spirit. But the letter will never give you life. It will never satisfy you. But you, because you will never be good enough. And you always know that deep down inside. And you'll be right here at Shul, hearing the gospel week after week after week, worshiping together with God's people, but not really ever receiving it not really ever hearing it. You're blind and you're deaf to the message if you're in bondage to a legalistic religious spirit. Water, water everywhere, but not a drop to drink. And you're empty and you're dead inside because the law by itself cannot give life. Galatians 3, 21, where for law had been given, which was able to impart life, then righteousness would have been based on the law. But the scripture has shut up everyone under sin so that, the, so, that, so that the promise by faith in Yeshua the Messiah might be given to those who believe. Elder brother syndrome, regardless of what they say, lives in such a way that in essence rejects the gospel of grace. Because it's all about your human achievement and you're following the rules and therefore you cannot rejoice in the gospel. And they have no real relationship with the Father. So if you're the elder brother, not only have you not experienced the work of Messiah that he's accomplished on the tree, but you don't even recognize that it's his work and his work alone that ought to be celebrated. So instead of, instead of spending your life in worship and adoration of, of the one who's purchased righteousness for you, the one who is righteousness for you, instead of rejoicing in the goodness of God, uh, in the person and the work of Messiah Yeshua, You've instead now turned that inward on yourself and you've robbed God of his praise so that you might praise your own holy insufficient works. So now what? Here's a couple possible responses. Remember the Pharisees are hearing all this. Uh, you lose a hundred sheep, you find it, you rejoice. One out of a hundred, you find it, you rejoice. The Pharisees say, yeah, that's right. The Pharisees are tracking with them. You lose one out of ten coins, you look for it, you find it, you rejoice. Yeah, that's right, Yeshua, preach it. You lose one of your two sons. 
Doesn't matter how far he strayed. He's now back. Your son's back. He's back. He was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. And so you rejoice. You celebrate. But the elder brother refuses to join in the celebration. He refuses to rejoice. And the Pharisees hear this, and they go from yap, yap, yap to, wait a minute. Oh, no, no. <laughs> so here's possibility number one. You admit, yes, Lord, that's me. Oh, God, that's me. And you fall on your face, and you're broken over your sin, and you repent. And you rejoice with the Father, because his wayward children have come home, and you were one of them, whether you realized it or not. And you beg the Father to number you among his children. Or possibility number two. You hear Yeshua tell these three parables, and at the end, you realize, hey, he's talking about me. And you say, how dare he? How dare he? He must die. And sadly, that's exactly how, how many of the Pharisees responded. He tells the story, he points out their sin, and they kill him. And in the context of the parable, it's like the elder brother not only won't come to the party, but he kills the father. Now, some Pharisees repented, praise the Lord. Some heard this, and they were cut to the quick. But sadly, many did not. And the Lord says to his people this in Hebrews 3, verse 15. As has been said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart like they did in the rebellion. If you are the elder brother here today, do not harden your heart. If you've heard the voice of the Lord today and he opened your eyes to see your own self-righteousness and your works righteousness and your religious pride and your self-reliance, do not walk out these doors continuing in your sin. Today is Shabbat Teshuvah, the Sabbath of repentance. I encourage you to repent, to plead with the Lord for him to break your heart and to save your soul. This is not an invitation for you to redouble your efforts and to work even harder. No. First Samuel 16, verse 7, for man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And because man looks on the outward appearance, people love you. They pass by the Father's property. They see you working hard in the fields. And they say, there's the faithful son. I heard his younger brother squandered all his wealth on wild living. I hear he's now feeding the pigs. Must be breaking his daddy's heart. All the while, the younger son has repented, and he's on his way back on the long journey home. And the one who stayed has murder in his heart toward his father. If that is you, flee to Yeshua. Flee from your self-reliance. Flee from your legalism. Flee from your religious pride. Flee from your man-pleasing. Take off your mask. Repent of the attitude, well, I'm the good one. And rejoice in the gospel of God and the person and the work of Yeshua, the Messiah, who's accomplished what you never can, who's your one and only hope. And mom and dad, all you moms and dads out there, do not miss the quiet, compliant kids.
Don't watch the elder brother be the elder brother and thank God that he's so easy to raise because he's not necessarily who you think he is. We look on the outside. God looks on the heart. Parents, plead with the Lord as much for that quiet, compliant one to be saved as much as you do for the more difficult, rebellious one because they both need the same thing the grace and the mercy of Messiah. This is the parable of the elder brother. He was ears to hear. Let him hear. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's stand and pray. And music team, come on up. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise your name. Praise your name, Lord. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord, for this day, this Shabbat Teshuvah. The Sabbath of repentance. We thank you for these, for these three parables and the, uh, on the centrality of repentance, which is what, Lord? Repentance, it's, it's turning from myself, turning from my sin, and turning back to you, Lord, through act, true acts of teshuva, of repentance, through changing our hearts and our minds and our ways. Lord, we confess today we have sinned against you. Lord Yeshua, on Shabbat Teshuvah, we forsake our wicked ways and our evil thoughts. We return to you. We ask you to renew our minds and, and to cleanse our hearts and our thoughts and our hands uh, and our desires and our speech. We know all heaven rejoices when even one sinner repents. Lord, like the repentant prodigal, help our heart to only want you, your presence, to be with you to dwell with you, even as a hired servant or a doorkeeper, as long as I can be with you, Lord, in your house. So, Lord, on this Shabbat Teshuvah, help me to humble myself, to have a soft heart toward you and your ways. Help me not to be just an outward rule keeper like the older brother. For you, Lord, look not on the outward appearance. You look on the heart. So, Lord, Guard me today from self-righteousness, from spiritual pride, from a legalistic religious spirit. Help me, Lord, to see this elder brother syndrome, to see if it exists in me or is starting to take root. Or, Lord, if it's starting to take root in my children, help me to see it in my kids. Help us to be watchful to guard against any tendency in our children to be like either the prodigal son or the elder brother. Lord, help us to cultivate love for you and not outward rule-keeping in our own life and in our children's life. For we pray this in your name, Yeshua. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.